Welcome back for another week of the Working Fans Podcast. This is AJ. I'm the former wrestler. We've got Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us. As we do every week, our producer, Joe, mate, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter. That's at FansWorking. Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Guys, hi there. This is the Working Fans Podcast. We are Southeastern Connecticut's premier up-and-coming wrestling talk podcast. We are trying to evolve and bring you the best product every week so that you can listen to it, be involved in it, and be a part of what we're doing. We're going to be changing up some of our formats coming up, trying new things, seeing how they work, and we want your feedback. So please reach out to us on all of our major platforms. Let us know what we're doing, what you like, what you don't like, and give us that feedback. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to talk wrestling. Dave, what do you want to talk about this week? All right, man. First thing I want to talk about I saw today is Jordan Myers, formerly ACH. Have you guys seen anything about Jordan Myers in the last two days? No. Joe, no what do you got? Yeah, that, oh, okay. Well, this is great this shit. Is breaking news, yeah, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So WWE put a shirt out. Now, we live in a different time where maybe people don't put two and two together and didn't recognize things. But here's the concept of the shirt. It's a plain black shirt. And it's just a big old smile with a pair of red lips and say, Jordan Myers. So Jordan put it out there that this is wrong, by the way. I don't care who says anything. And he tagged Triple H and he tagged Vince McMahon to let him know that this needs to be changed. They put out a blackface t-shirt. I mean, it definitely... I'm not. Look, I don't know who came up with a t-shirt. Have you seen the t-shirt? Yes, I have. How do you not run this t-shirt by him first? You guys should take time and look it up if you want. Oh my god, I guys, I'm googling this right look now. Look this up, please. Yeah, I'm GTS and I'm googling his, this. Uh, shit. So yeah. So it's far more offensive than here's the thing. The New Day artwork because some of the New Day shirts. Yeah. Uh, look, here. I was a little skeptical. I'm like, all right, that seems to be pushing a line, but. It's, I haven't heard any pushback. I, so. I know what I think. I know what the person was probably thinking. Jordan, he uh, smiles. He has a big smile. It's bright. He's a good, entertaining guy. I just don't think someone put two and two together. Nobody knows. Some parents, nobody doesn't know their history here, and it just comes off looking bad. And when you see the thing, you could definitely tell. Oh, this could be mistaken. Does somebody not know their history, or is someone willingly looking the other way? You know, because to me, it seems so cut and dry that it's like, it let's put this out. I bet they were thinking the Rolling Stones got a lip logo. Maybe. I mean, at the end of the day, I will say this. You know, I've worked with a lot of younger people in the last few years when I worked at a grocery store. And there's really not as much racism anymore with a lot of people I talk to. Oh, no, racism's gone. No, I didn't say it was gone. <laughs> but there's a lot of ignorance. Like, people don't know about this stuff. And I think people are stupid sometimes. I'm not saying that's what happened. Some not like the intelligent I, racism they're used to. I heard about. a young person at my job say that being trans was in. 
like in style or something yeah that the kids do and that just blew my mind because it goes against everything else that was i cannot find this t-shirt yeah. Maybe they took it down because it sounds to, like the type of thing you might not want to have. Go to Jordan Meyer's Twitter and scroll down and you will find it. I had found it on Facebook and then I confirmed it on Twitter right before we went on here to record Now, the what's the fallout been since this? Nothing new. Thing. This is all happening in the last Wow, so this is breaking current. Yeah, obviously you guys didn't catch it. Oh, shit. Yeah, there you go. So my fan right there. You tell oh, me? Jesus. Right. Okay. How do we? That's the shirt. That that can't be the shirt. That is the shirt. That's the shirt right there. Let me see. I'll prove. I'll tell you what I saw this morning. No, that's not the fucking shirt. I was gonna say, Jesus. (laughs) This motherfucker. That's just straight blackface art. (laughs) (laughs) You want to see this? Holy shit! Goddamn son. There it is. That's the shirt. (laughs) You can see it looks like a pair of lips and stuff like that. So that's a little. Or do you not see it? Right. I don't even that's see That's not as bad as that's not as bad as the picture you Well had. no, the fucking picture he showed us was clearly blackface. Yeah. That's not kidding. That I mean, the WWE, they've got so many superstars that are coming up. You guys saw the street profit. I mean, shirt. I, I see what that's you're good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but I think you're, you're pushing the line a little. Well, here's the thing what I want to say too. I don't know what the communication was on this. Did Jordan get offended and see it and try to communicate with Triple H or Vince or someone? And did they automatically shut the door on him? So now he's like, fuck it, I'm taking this public? Or, and, and maybe they did. Maybe they're busy. Like, what the fuck does Jordan Myers want? <laughs> they don't have time first, right now. First of all, it's Jordan Miles. Miles. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's ACH to me. Yeah. All right, motherfuckers? I don't know. Secondly, I think that the problem with this is that if it's close, you can't do it. Right. Yeah, it's not necessarily the image because I didn't that close enough. See, though? I don't see it when I look at it. I but I, but here's I, the thing. Well, okay, wait a minute. Here's the thing. When he sent the pitch or everything like that, did you not know both sides of the argument right away? Yeah, no, I did. And right, and I yeah. can see it, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't see it. But I in see. fairness, I haven't lived his life. I was gonna right. say what's important is how he takes exactly. it. Or right. How any and, and here's the thing. Black well, like if you showed it. me that shirt, I might not have put it two together right. Put two and two together right away, excuse me. But when he shows it, I knew right away what and he was talking about. And the fact of the matter is all you need is one person to take it that way. Yeah. And it's a shitstorm. Now yeah. what about you guys saw the Street Profit shirt that was designed to look like almost the old No Limit Records covers. And it's it looks like a bad shirt. It just looks like something that was made in a parking lot or that's sold in a parking lot that's just got a four, like four different pictures of them and says, we want the smoke. Yeah. Well, so NXT is kind of forcing these shirts out there because they have so many people on TV. Everybody on TV, I think, has to get a shirt. In fairness, the Street Profits themselves are basically a stereotype. True. They yeah. basically have taken this tag team again and made them a stereotype. Well, here's They're the thing. coming through the crowd with plastic cups to drink their gin and juice in, but well, they're looking for the smoke. Crowd. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, maybe it's more stylish now, or it is in touch I, with actually, the culture. I have talked to some people about this. I know where you're thinking, and I could be the same way. But actually, the red solo cup, it all bases. That's the big part of this. 
It's not supposed to be a gin and juice. Gin and juice, that solo cup is all from a song, and it's about frat parties where they're playing beer pong and shit. And it's a country yeah. song where the red solo cup right. originated. I see we're breaking news here to you. But, but you see... I see where you're coming from because, then again, let's talk about Jordan. This is based on your history. Exactly. And you're not, right, right, right. But that's not what they're doing. And remember, we have younger people in creative. But all now. you need, once again... Sure. Is the one person offended by it going, wait a minute, this is not... And you're talking about a company with the WWE mm. who has done stereotyping oh, yeah, yeah, from yeah, day yeah. one. Right. They've done every racist... Stere- we talked... Last week, we were talking about the Green Mist. Yes. Yeah. Whether we agree that that's a stereotype Well, that shit goes beyond WWE, but yeah. But, but what I'm saying is that you're talking about a company that is known mm. for a history of borderline racism. Yeah. Yeah. And listeners, we want to get your feedback on this. Do you think this is racist? Or are are we looking too much into it? Give us some feedback. Hit us up on Twitter. The email. You know where to find us. Dave, what else is on our All list right. today? There's a couple things that's got my attention you know, this week. One was AEW signed an Olympic boxer. Ah, man, I could be saying this guy's name wrong, but it's Anthony Ogono. I believe, and he was a bronze medalist in the 2012 Olympics. He was 11-1 as a pro. Uh, he shattered his eye socket in a loss. Uh, my question is basically with you guys, is this a good signing? Like, is it, uh, like, should this guy be working on the indies, or should we be going out of our way to sign somebody just because they have enough, like, background? This seems almost WWE-like a lot to me. I'm not saying it's bad, because I like combat sports, but... Is this a good signing? I'm a little, like, mixed on this. Okay, so as usual, I'm going to take the popular point of view on this. I think it's a horrible signing. Okay. I think that they don't have a developmental system. They don't have anywhere for this guy to develop, but on live television. Yeah. So you're going to take somebody who has never wrestled a professional match, and you're going to actually develop them on live television? Well, I mean, first of all, we've already seen how horrible Cain Velasquez has looked so far. Mm. And now you're going to take, and he actually at least had some wrestling matches. Yeah, I will say this about Kane, not to like interrupt you, but just real quick. Uh, Conan had talked about on the show, and Disco had talked about on the Keeping It 100 show, that they felt he almost regressed a little bit in WWE. That they had taught him when he does like, when he does ground and pound, the way Disco had set it up was they take a guy down and start coming down and shoot forearms on his head. So he's Which not is actually, what he should be doing. Right, and it looks good, it looks legit, and the guy just has to kind of throw his hands up. But he said instead they try to do like these punches that are pulled. Punches are a lot harder to pull than forearms. Right. I can hit you all day long with forearms that look like they're killing you. Right. And, and if I'm blocking with my forearms a little bit too. And I can protect you and make sure that it's not killing you. Right. Whereas if I'm throwing those punches, it's a little hard art. How many times have we seen people who have great right hands, but then we've seen the people... Like Bob, like in our Bob Cook interview, and by the way, you should definitely check out our Bob Cook interview. Goddamn right. That's uh, he talks about the Big Show. Everybody goes, oh, the Big Show, especially the announcer of WWE. Look at that right hand. His right hand looks absolutely horrible. His right hand looks like a toddler taught him how to throw it. And his thing but it's that over-the-top cartoon delivery that the people in the last row can see which I, that WWE sells it, doesn't make it good. But, but here's the problem. WWE is a television company. They're not selling to the guy in the last row. They're selling to the guy in the front row who's watching it at home on Raw or on Shame. SmackDown. Or... And I just want to say, to uh, going back to this uh, Anthony kid, <clears throat> could be a great guy. I hope he does well. 
but he's also not really over. Like, you know, most people, like, if you're casual fans, you might have heard of Kane Velasquez. Oh, is that that guy to beat Brock Lesnar years ago? Oh, that oh, guy who won the bronze in the 2012 Right, Olympics? exactly. Like, I love that guy. That. It does, <laughs> does kind of lend towards that sports legitimacy that sure. somebody like Jim Ross likes or... Like Bill and you uh, know Bill what? Watts would have liked, but here's the Jack, Jack Jake Hagar has that legitimacy. He does too. And here's the issue I'm saying with the sign a little bit. I have, I like that stuff, but I see the potential hole in this. So if somebody else who doesn't like this stuff, you know, I just don't see it going. It's just well. to me, there's too much risk for the reward. Right. And you know, they gave him a good amount of money being a um, Olympic uh, gold bronze medalist. I want to talk to something that uh, I saw this week, Joe. I want to switch gears here real quick. We're talking, because this kind of works out. We're talking about shoot athletes, combat sports, guys. Shorty G. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, I don't know if this had been on your mind at all. (laughs) He cut a promo uh, last week. It was a good promo, actually, I'll say. No, his promos are from Yeah, He had had fire. He says, you know, I'm going to, like, overcome the fact that I'm short and look down on. But I'm Shorty Gable. And that that just sounds corny. Then he goes a step further. He goes, actually, let's shorten it up a bit. I'm Shorty G. Now he goes this week, and as Paige pointed out on the new backstage segment, which is excellent, we'll talk a little about that later, Paige points out he looks like somebody out of Space Jam. He's got on like these basketball shorts and basketball jersey. It looks goofy to me, no offense. He's dressed like the Street Profits. He's literally wearing a small version of what Angelo Dawkins wears. Well, I think this is with the shorty G. It looks, this, it doesn't fit him. How about that? No, it doesn't. doesn't yeah. it, it's not that it doesn't necessarily fit him. I don't think any clothes are going to fit him in his size. Baby. However, I'm going to move past this height, and I'm going to move past my size. So what are you going to do to move past it? I'm going to call myself so shorty. shorty. G. Yeah. How are you moving past it if you're calling yourself exactly what it is? And by the way, Sam Roberts, who puts on a nice podcast, he's with the WWE. He, the, I want to say, and no offense, if this happens to make it to Sam, I doubt it will, but if it does... He had said that, you know, in fairness, we don't know where this is going. Shorty, Chad Gable wasn't getting over. Maybe Shorty G will. Let me throw something out there, though, to Sam. Because we talked about this promo. How he had a good promo. Yes, he did. But this promo would have worked just as well at the end of it, he says. But guess what? I don't care about my height because I'm Chad Gable. He doesn't have to say Shorty freaking G. In fairness to our friend Sam Roberts, He's got his nose so far up the WWE's ass, he wouldn't know if they're doing something wrong because he can't actually see it. It's like horse blinders with the ass cheeks. I mean, that's because you just don't like short people. And that's he's a, not in a position to really kind of speak against it because yeah. when you're one of those peop- those personalities that gets onto the, the pre-show or maybe even tries getting making your way into backstage... There's certain things about the company you're not going to express, even if you felt them. Let's be clear here. I don't have a problem with Chad Gable's height at all. I think you just do the opposite. I think you embrace the fact that he's an Olympic badass and yeah. that I've seen him be able to give German suplexes to guys that are twice his size where right. he's doing a delayed freaking suplex to him. Sure. Uh, so this you, is not a guy like Ray or someone else who's using flying techniques. This guy can actually you, throw you You want to make this guy... This isn't freaking... Um, what's his name? Marco Shoddy... Uh, Marco Stunt? Sure. We'll call him that now. Part of the great uh, AW Oh, roster. my God. This is a totally different animal. <laughs> this is an Olympic freaking wrestler... Who can tear somebody's ankle off if he wants to. And we're going to call him Shorty G and put him in a pair of basketball shorts. They did this guy wrong since, I think, coming up from NXT. Like, he's mm-hmm. the one that should have been Kurt Angle's son. 
Oh yeah. He would have come out of that as a monster. Oh. If you had done it right, mm. he could almost be your legitimate athlete that you could put on Fox and market as an Olympic athlete. Maybe give the illusion that he's a step away from the octagon. You know, yeah. make him more of a fighter rather than he's got a the short personality game. too. Like he yeah. actually has a decent enough personality. And you know what? To transition a little bit, um, if we're going to talk about things that are just flat off pissing me off, okay, let's talk about what the WWE did with Cesaro this week on SmackDown. Okay, so the WWE brings down Cesaro. They mm-hmm. we oh, Sami Zayn can't wrestle, so we're going to bring out somebody to wrestle for him. And they come out, and he's fired up, and he putting in his mouthpiece and he's marching to the ring and he's ready to kick ass. The WWE brought him in because they didn't want anybody on Crown Jewel to take a loss and they needed somebody to take a freaking loss in the ring. So let's take this guy who we've buried for years now who's one of the best wrestlers on the planet and let's put him in there and let him take the fucking loss so that nobody else does. Also, and- do you know that he's wrestling on Crown Jewel? You remember that kid? I am blanking on his name, guys. I'm sorry. Oh, Mansoor. Mansoor yeah, he's, so he's going to take the job. job so they brought him in to take this job yeah. so that nobody had to take the job on the um, teams, on his team. And now he's going to go into Crown Jewel and he's going to have to take the job to Mansoor. Who hates Cesaro? Right. There's somebody in the WWE that just yeah. really hates this athlete. I want this guy in NXT bad. Pound for pound, maybe the strongest athlete in all of the WWE. He's scientifically as good of a worker as anybody in that ring, and he's entertaining to watch. Yeah. God forbid we give him a freaking push. I, I really want this guy, now that NXT is on USA, put him on there, and just, you know, like I, I don't want to say, like, I, I'm not a big fan of saying loading up NXT with a bunch of WWE guys, but I feel like Cesaro's is one of those guys that fits, the fans would respect him, and it'd be a nice fresh start. Now, where do you guys see Cesaro going after Crown Jewel? If is I have my way... Hope? No, unfortunately, I don't have much hope. But if I had my way, yeah, I'd be sending him to NXT, and I don't know what I... Do you reunite him and Cassius Ono as a tag team? You fucking send this guy to NXT UK, he's better off. Yes, that would be a great idea, put him with Cassius Ono. But But that would take for the WWE to actually admit that they wrestled as a great tag team at one point. Oh, yeah, they would have to acknowledge that. Not only that, but you would also need the WWE... To want to do anything with Cassius Ono, also. I also I just like him <laughs> still. At least with NXT, it's still on the USA Network. There's still we don't know where this is going to be in the next six months. It's just more of an opportunity for the guy. I think the best thing that could happen to Cesaro, or for the WWE in that fact, is just to be humane, give him a chance, and actually release Cesaro. Release Cesaro. Mm-hmm. Release Michael Bennett. Let them go out there and actually wrestle. And actually make a living doing what they love instead of turning them into a joke. I'm a little different on the Michael Bennett thing. I don't feel like... Michael Bennett is somewhat to blame for this himself, too. He signed a five-year contract. What do you think was going to happen, bro? I mean, and hey, they're paying him $500,000 a year. I don't know if AEW is going to come close to that or give him the opportunity he's looking for. First of all, the fact that you came in and they wanted to actually call you by your wife's name to begin with... Should have been a sign. Because because they recognize her as the bigger star. And to be fair, Impact Wrestling kind of thought she was the bigger star. You know, I mean, she's always been kind of portrayed as the bigger star. And right. I know on Keeping It 100 this week, uh, Conan actually had said the same thing. He says nothing against the guy. He said, but I always thought she was the bigger act. Yeah. And, and, and even if that is fair, though, you don't have to completely embarrass somebody. No, you don't. I, I know that WWE... I'm not judging. I'm not saying what WWE is doing is right. I know WWE is big on cockholding people yeah. with what they're doing with Lana, Rusev, and Bobby, and then what they're doing with the Canalyses. 
but it's absolutely ridiculous how many of these acts they actually are doing it with now. But I, I just, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put him in the same place as Cesaro. Cesaro didn't check himself into rehab. Cesaro's been nothing but a hard worker. No, Cesaro's a beast. A, a, above average phenomenal he's a phenom he's better than above average I just don't get it the, the guy's literally a cyborg well not literally figuratively a cyborg mm. in the ring and you're just not giving him a chance and if I've got to preach every week to get the WWE to take notice because lord knows they're listening to our podcast Goddamn right they are <laughs> I will the quote because, Seth Rollins we're about to burn it down <laughs> like a wise man once said about Cesaro let our people go now, Hip the, La- <laughs> the Lana Rusev storyline, is yeah. this ah. just playing out like the Mike Canales one would have played out before had they not put like the abrupt I'm not completely sure about that because clearly they respect all those guys more than they do uh, yeah. Mike. Well, in fairness to Rusev, I mean, I see where he's gone wrong here. Mm. I mean, he went away for a little bit, came back in even better shape than he's sure. ever been in. And is legitimately scary. I mean, I see why they're torturing this poor guy. Well, the thing is, though, with Rusev, though, is that at least with him, he's actually beating up people at times and stuff like that. Mike literally just lays down, gets his ass kicked. Or, oh, no, Mike or lost chicken shit times down. in a night. Right, right. Yeah. Mike did the job to his wife. Yeah, that's it's. I don't know where the WWE's going with this Rusev stuff, but I hope it ends quickly. I mean, it has the chance to be a great match. With Bobby Lashley and Rusev, but I'd rather just see these two large, tough guys just fight. Only two other things I wanted to talk about that caught my attention: the backstage show for WWE after SmackDown. I loved it. I liked it. I kind of a half shoot, half uh, work uh, type thing. Paige, I thought was on fire with it. She flat out said that I feel like Seth Rollins with this burn it down thing is like fetch. Like they're trying to shove it down our throats. To Absolutely. Get it over. Which I think we all feel that way. We do. Yeah. It's bullshit. That's uh... And Finn Bauer comes out here, and Booker T talks about seeing something in his eyes, and he said it's just the, you know, it's just the real Finn. It's just the new, you know, it's just the old Finn. He says, what is this? And Finn had that comment. He goes, well, you've seen my work before WWE, right? You were such a big fan. And Booker said, yeah, I tell my students that guy's going to be one of the all-time greats. And he goes, well, I just say the prince is back. And I was like, that's fucking money right there in my mind. Like, you know, like, okay, here we go. But is the WWE going to let him do this on NXT? Right. There's a big difference between backstage. Backstage and... is produced by Fox on actual FS1. Right. It's not actually being produced by the WWE itself. Yeah. And I go back to talking smack, which got over with uh, Miz and Daniel Bryan years ago, where they had legit heat and it played off very well. And that had everybody anticipating Bryan's return when it eventually happened. Which they didn't even know it was going to happen. But then no. it did happen. It's like, oh, we got a WrestleMania match here. And then it like burned out like in a few months. Well, it goes back to the show um, in the 1990s. Remember um, when Jim Ross had his confrontation with Vince McMahon there on Livewire? And so, well, Livewire, if it had been done in a similar fashion, Livewire was good. Could have actually been an incredible show, but it was a show that once the WWE said, wait a minute, we need to take more control of this, once again, it went straight down the toilet. So, my biggest fear is that Paige is going to make comments like this, and all of a sudden, she's going to be replaced by some talking head, and the WWE is going to want their hand in the creative, and we're going to lose the edge. I mean, I think everybody's doing their part on this show, at least. uh, Hopefully, it's not just Paige. I think Paige stuck out as being a little more the vocal. But And I thought Christian and the guy who I can't say his name 
I absolutely stole the show in the promo thing too. That was actually pretty cool to see them cut the promo. Oh. I mean, his promo was decent at best, but Christian just showed why he was one of the best promo guys in um, WWE history. The guy you're thinking of is Booker T. What? <laughs> oh, I thought that's you. You couldn't remember his name. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember Booker's name. Uh, I thought I was, just couldn't pronounce his name. I was like, shit, you can't pronounce Booker T? Yeah, the the guy from American Ninja Warrior there. I actually missed that part, so. Yo, you didn't see that. No, I didn't. Oh, he did a, they did a face-to-face promo with him, and because they get, wanted to give him a chance to cut a promo. So he Is came, that towards the end? Yeah, so he cut a oh. promo on Christian, and then Christian cut a promo back on him. Episode, yeah. Well, no, I watched it on his uh, DVR type thing. It must have cut out a little bit or something. Yeah, they must have cut it out on you. Uh. Uh, the only other thing I want to talk about this week, Shayna Baszler had basically announced on an NXT show, in uh, an arena show, that there's going to be an all-woman event for an NXT house show in Jacksonville. And I thought to myself, that's pretty cool. When is that happening? Uh, that's going to be December 5th at Jacksonville. Oh, that's So now, I was kind of interested in... I'd um, like to see that. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be just like a house show. But like that's the thing, Like house show business is kind of dying. Is this something they should be trying once in a while a little more like for house shows? Maybe like... They should have tried it, I think, a while ago. But they also should have respected their women's division years before and yeah. tried... Putting in the talent that you could get a women's show. Now, out in of. fairness, NXT has more women's talent than I think anybody else on the planet. Oh, Actually, yeah. yeah, that's one thing. When you talk about this uh, Wednesday night war, if you want to call it that, we can debate on what is going better. To me, right now, NXT the women are really a step ahead. Does AEW still have women? They do. They do. Dr. Britt Baker was on there this week. Yeah. Oh, uh, what does she do for a living? She's a dentist, and they didn't beat that over the head a little bit there. She uses a mandible claw slash <laughs> fucking... Uh, actually, the finisher isn't bad. I no, guess. but very subtle uh, how many times they mention uh, that she's a dentist through the course of the evening. What I like about NXT with Women's Division, though, if you watch the show, is though they have a woman's title-type feud, but they also have like a grudge match. Every week, there's been like at least two women's matches and probably a woman's Who, segment. Who's going after back. the title with Riho? I possibly Britt Baker? I don't know right now. <laughs> my, my point wasn't to stump Dave. My point was that as much of an AEW fan as I am, I'm also a women's wrestling fan, and to me, AEW is dropping the ball with women's wrestling. Yeah. I, I don't think that they're maintaining it. And to have somebody come on their um, broadcast and say how important that women's wrestling was going to be in AEW... Mm-hmm. And then to see what's transpiring with women's wrestling in AEW so far, it's a little embarrassing for the product to me. MLW has also been a company that they've kind of dropped the ball in women's wrestling. Oh, completely. They started out hot when they'd have Santana Garrett on shows, and then it's gone away. And I know they're saying it's going to be a priority to build it up, and they did sign a superstar. I can't remember her name right now. With women's wrestling on the rise, how are these two up-and-coming companies? Maybe I, not ignoring that market, but dropping the ball on that Considering market. you're talking about both of those having two-hour programs yeah. and dropping the ball on women's wrestling, you've got NWA Power, which is an hour program, and still is finding a way to actually focus a little bit of that one hour on women's wrestling. I, I don't think that NXT is dropping the ball with the women's No, no, I'm not talking yeah. about NXT. I They're mean, the only M- one not dropping. No, okay. I meant MLW and AEW. Okay, okay, okay. No, NXT we've already discussed. Is right, the I thought so. Yeah, that's uh, the premier women's wrestling in the world right now. Actually, I'm excited. They, they're actually getting the women's tag belts on NXT next now, week. Not just NXT. NXT UK 
Oh, they're doing well. They actually does a great job of they focusing do. on women's wrestling. That's an also. hour show, and there's one or two women's matches on it all the time. Exactly. So. Yeah. So, so I'm not taking away from either one of the NXT brands. Quite frankly, I think they do a tremendous job mm-hmm. with it. Even the WWE right now, I think that they're... As much as we shit on them. Well, the one highlight to SmackDown this week to me was actually how they're starting to build the women there. Yeah. Because I think they're doing a good job of finally building other characters. Yeah, I feel like Nikki Cross is finally Exactly. Nikki Cross is coming along. I think they are doing a good job of building Bailey's new character. But what I was saying is, is that we have an hour program with NWA Power, and they're doing a better job of building their women's division than MLW and AEW right now. Uh, the only other thing I noticed was someone talked about, since we're talking about AEW a little bit, was I heard, I want to say, maybe it was Jimmy Corderas or somebody, was actually taking some of the officiating to task, saying there's a lot of stuff that the referees are missing. Uh, I did hear, I want to say it was the Brian Alvarez show this week, they were talking about tag matches, how literally with the uh, Lucha Bros, and who are they uh, wrestling this week, forgive me. Um, oh, the Don't private party. Private party. How um, there was literally no tags being made, and as you could tell, they were trying to refocus this week on a tag rope, and they were mentioned that, and they were saying that the Lucha Brothers they'll probably try everything and say, "Oh, we don't speak English." She said that you know that they're going to try to do their what they can, but they really just have to like really try to focus. So on going it. back to what we were talking about before, that also goes to Lucha wrestling, where there's not necessarily tags. Right. Well, that's Man, where I was like, going to go with oh, this. Shit, was sorry. actually that's the one issue. Right? What we were talking about before is that they're kind of mm-hmm. falling back. They're they're almost pulling like a WWE thing where they're pulling back on a Mexican stereotype. These guys have wrestled all over the world. You're telling me they can't understand the difference between lucha libre well, and wrestling in Japan. They can. In, I don't no, no, know no, how no, cooperative they are. But, but what I'm saying is, is that they're playing on the stereotype of these sneaky Mexicans. I don't know if that's what they're doing. Oh, they are. They're just trying to build a wall. It's fine. I don't think that's what's that's, going on with that. I'm going to disagree a little bit on that one. A little racism. I... <laughs> That might be a legit problem with the luchadors. We can't solve the problem if we don't actually talk about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think they're just not one to make checks. But, but here's, uh, here's my problem. Hear that, Tony Khan? We're not buying any of your racist shit. <laughs> you and the WWE with your stupid t-shirts. I may have been saying that a little tongue-in-cheek. <clears throat> Here's my problem. AEW, when they're selling the product, is telling us we're going to focus on the competition. We're going to focus on the legitimacy of the competition. This is what our focus is going to be. If you don't have good refereeing and you don't have them actually enforcing the rules in the match, then you're not focusing on the competition aspects of wrestling. And you're not focusing on what brought you to the dance. So we need good officiating in AEW. One more thing before we wrap up today. Is some of this the product of a lot of these guys coming from an indie wrestling era now where they can basically go out there and they're just told, do whatever you want, have the best match you can possibly have. And a lot of that involves a ton of high spots and maybe lacks a certain psychology. See, to me, that's not always fair to indie wrestling either. Cause I'm not saying it's the one thing. But, you know, but, but, I, but I think that a lot of times with indie wrestling, they get the stereotype of doing that. Mm-hmm. And if you watch a lot of the good indie wrestling, you still get a good amount of yeah. true competition and stuff of that nature. But it definitely, but remember, where are these guys coming from? Mm-hmm. A lot of the athletes that are in AEW now are getting their first chance sure. at a major federation and their first chance at actually being put into that spot and some of them are coming from really that indie wrestling date right. and it, so it is going to be a little bit different there is one more thing that i would like to talk about 
I do want to talk about the NWA and their power hour. Yeah. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because something we noticed when we once again had our interview with Bob Cook, which you should listen to, by the way. Mm. When we had that interview, one of the things that Bob Cook talked about was the difference between week one and week two and then week three. I have noticed that, and I think that they're going in the wrong direction a little bit with the NWA. Instead of focusing on what they did in week one, which was the wrestling and focusing on the competition, the good interviews, Mm -hmm. that now they're starting to a little bit do more of the humor stuff, Mm -hmm. more of the um, aspects of that. And the other storyline that I can't stand is the announcer going after um, Camille Brickhouse. To me, that is absolutely one of the worst storylines I've ever seen. And I just, when you have the NWA championship, your one focus should be the champion and focusing on Mm -hmm. um, what matches are coming up and stuff of that nature. And to see him, the main focus for this announcer be, well, why won't Camille talk to me? Uh, To me, it takes away from the product and takes away from the pure wrestling and the studio wrestling that we enjoyed so much in week one. Now, speaking of Bob Cook, how good was that interview last week? I was vaguely familiar with him going into it. I mean, mm-hmm. I had watched the matches on YouTube, and he put in some solid efforts, but him talking to us, I thought was next level. He had mm-hmm. insight. Honest. Now, wait Honest. a minute. We have to let these guys in on a secret. All right, if you're listening to the podcast this week, and I know you are, Damn we're right. going to let you in on a secret. If you tune into our Hall- our Halloween edition... You're going to hear stuff from that Bob Kilk interview that you didn't hear on the original interview. And that's going to include stories on people like Vader and road stories that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Easter and eggs, you fucks. You are not going to want to miss this. I'm telling you, please, if for your own sanity, yeah. tune in, check out the Halloween edition because these are stories that surprised even us. And it was truly a pleasure to actually hear these stories. As always, we're the Working Fans Podcast. We're the people that work our asses off to bring this to you every week because we love wrestling, and this really is just something that we truly enjoy doing. So please tune in on all of our major platforms. Check us out mostly on Apple and Podcasts. Subscribe. Give us that five-star rating that you know you want to give us. want it. Check us out on YouTube. Hopefully soon we'll get some videos up on YouTube too so you can actually see the sexy behind-the-scenes action that goes on yeah, here. Yeah. Shake uh, my ass. We keep telling Dave to stop wearing a bikini, but he just won't stop doing it. You He's, need it. That's, uh, but please, thank you very much for joining us. And I'll, as always, we'll see you next Thursday. Guys, this week for our interview, we've been lucky enough to land Jordan Garber. This gentleman is a podcaster. He's a journalist. He's the host of Cut the Promo. He also spends time referee and spends a lot of time in the snake pit. So guys, enjoy this interview, and we'll be right with you. Hi, Jordan. How you doing? This is AJ. Hey, how's it going, my man? Good. Great to hear from you. It's going to be me and my uh, co-host, my producer, Joe, that are going to be sitting in on this interview today. Very excited to hear from you. Big fans of uh, a lot of your work, and we appreciate what you do, especially a lot of the interviews that you do. My uh, producer, Joe, is going to start off with a line of questioning, and if you're ready to go, we'll start off. No, that'd be perfectly fine, Jordan. By all means, please. Perfect. I just always want to get permission. But yeah, I'm ready to go when you guys are. You got it. We'll get going right now then, Jordan. Thank you very much. All right, Jordan. Nice to meet you. It's Joe here. For those unfamiliar with you, can you tell us a little about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Jordan Garber. 
and I am basically a professional wrestling journalist and referee based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is kind of ironic because here in Winnipeg, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere, so there's not a lot of big, uh, you guys are in Connecticut, so you guys have a lot close to you, like you guys have New York, or you have a lot of the, the East Coast, but for us, we have Minnesota, North Dakota, and then you have to go a little more down to go down to Milwaukee or Chicago. So we're kind of in a little, little nowhere, but we have a little hot wrestling scene here. And uh, it, it continues to spread. So that's something I always wanted to be a part of starting in 2008 uh, when I went to uh, my first show. So from there, I just started doing interviews. I wanted to be a wrestling journalist, which I uh, had the honor and privilege to do. And then I started to referee, which uh, was my dream. It's the second fight of wrestling ring, and I can say I've accomplished that. So I'm pretty happy about that. That's awesome, Jordan. For those of that follow the podcast, this is AJ. I was a wrestler, and I worked from um, the Southeast. I actually was trained by Adrian Street. But when I was growing up, uh, AWA was absolutely huge. And then you also had, obviously, Calgary wrestling with the hearts and stuff of that nature. So Canada was actually somewhat of a hotbed of activity in that time period between those two wrestling organizations. And when I think of Winnipeg, obviously, we think of people like Chris Jericho and, and the wrestlers that were developed from that area that came out and became huge names. No, absolutely. Winnipeg uh, has been a huge hotbed for uh, many guys that came out of here, like the likes of Chris Jericho, like the likes of Kenny Omega, Don Callis, the list goes on and on. The, the wrestlers that Winnipeg has produced has been one of the most impressive, and it, it has to stand pretty much next to Calgary in the list of wrestling tradition that we've all had. And there's a lot of wrestlers here that were from Canada that got their start in Winnipeg by doing those Northern Death Tours, which I'm going to do in February, um, where you, you drive across the winter roads and uh, all the wrestlers from North America meet up. So if you're, if you're not on the Manitoba wrestling scene or from it, you're still going to eventually be exposed to it because we have new guys coming in from across the states each and every day. So it's really cool to see uh, uh, kind of like not really a territory back in the day, we'd call it that, but a region develop that develops huge and get hot. And it's, it's good to watch that. It's good to watch something grow than to watch something not grow. True. Now, speaking of those death tours, can you tell us a little bit about Tony Candelo? Because he had a really good episode on Talk is Jericho about a year ago, and you're going to be going on one of those tours for him, right? That is correct, yeah. He was on the uh, Talk is Jericho podcast, which is obviously Chris Jericho and Tony Candela uh, share a very good friendship due to the fact that they have worked together, they have done these uh, tours before, and for Chris Jericho to uh, survive the tour, gave him a huge tenacity and then got him kind of in the in the ranks in Mexico. And then from Mexico, he went on to Japan. So I'm going to be doing this tour. And this tour is basically a make it or break it situation. It's one of the toughest tours in professional wrestling because you're going on the ice roads for three weeks to different communities and there's no hotels here. So we got to figure out our own accommodations with limited resources. So uh, I just got to make sure I pack a lot of food. Uh, I have a fear of drowning, so I sure hope I don't fall on the ice. But when it comes to stuff like that, it's kind of like something you gotta got to put aside. Fear is always going to be in my mind when it comes to these tours. But um, being in the wrestling business, one of the hardest things is overcoming fear. But when you overcome it, it feels a lot better. And when I finish the tour, uh, I'm going to be a whole new person in the wrestling business because uh, I'm continuing to pay dues. And uh, that's one of the hardest dues you can pay. And I, if I pay that due, then I can do anything. And I know I can. Jordan, I was lucky enough to work with a few guys who went on tours up there. 
and they would tell me um, nightmare stories, especially back in, because some of them were old timers when I was starting in the 90s, and they were talking about stories in the um, 80s about going across those death tours and being in vans where all of a sudden the heat stops working and you're absolutely terrified because that's not only the place where they're driving, but they're also sleeping in those vans and just being absolutely terrified that between the hypothermia and falling through the ice that this was going to be their last wrestling tour. So my friend to you, hats off for going on that tour. And I will tell you, I think we all have a fear of drowning when it comes to being stuck under that ice. So how do you like refereeing? That's got to be a tremendous opportunity. And who are some of your influences when it comes to refereeing? One of my biggest influences refereeing, basically, I was watching wrestling when I was a kid. I liked Mickey J. Henson a lot. And Mickey J. Henson was a referee from the late 80s to the early 90s to the late 2000s on SmackDown. He's been on SmackDown for a very long time. But even from the video game to watching the matches, he always stood out as the ref, you know, everyone would treat him like be an asshole to him, but he was the authority, and he would stand his ground in the ring. That's why I really like uh, Mickey Henson. I also really enjoy watching Face the Dangerous Nash Davis. Not Nightmare, there's two of them. There's the referee and there's the wrestler. Well, they're both wrestlers, but one had the uh, referee gimmick and was the manager of the Hart Foundation. So the Danny Davis referee was someone uh, I was very uh, influenced with as well. As well, I like Nick Patrick. I'm a big fan of Nick Patrick. And then uh, Tommy Rogers. If you want to learn how to referee, watch Tommy Rogers' match uh, that, that he's refereeing. It's, uh, it's incredible. You learn so much. You know, I was watching. I'm watching right now on my TV. Uh, WWF Championship Rugby from 1978. And just watching the refereeing on there, and just learning so much. You know, I'm watching with the Larry Sharks and uh, the Tony Gurias and the Nikolai Volkov. So... Every day, I make sure that I watch a different tape, and I watch what the referee is doing, and I only watch what the referee is doing in certain cases. After I watch a certain amount of matches, I can watch the wrestling, I can enjoy the wrestling. But for now, my job is to focus on what the referee is doing and pay close attention. Because I'm someone that when I'm in the ring, I have nerve, I have anxiety. So if I'm in the ring and I get all uptight, I'm going to make a mistake, and I don't want to fuck up a finish. So I, I watch my tape, and then when I go in the ring, I come in there with knowing with the confidence that I've done this before and that I've been watching tapes and I just go in there and I do it. And I just try to get better and better each and every time. That's pretty much the only way you can go about it. It's uh, pro wrestling and it's something that's going to take a lifetime to match. Wow, so you're a real student of the game. How did you get your start in wrestling journalism? Because you said you started about 14, right? Yeah, I started wrestling. I started interviewing wrestlers at 14 because my dad took me out to uh, Steel Town Pro Wrestling, which was a uh, company back here in Winnipeg that was ran back here in 2008. And with Steel Town Pro Wrestling, they brought in a lot of, uh, they brought in some names, but it was just one of those, you know, lower level, everyone gets their foot in the door, feet wet sort of promotion. A lot of trained guys work there, which isn't cool, and I'm not kind of a big fan of that, but I was 14. 15 years old. This was 2008. And I still remember the first event I went to, Fight for the Right. So after that, I believe I had a job. I had a job where I was uh, on school and I just started working. So I walked down, I was walking down St. James, I believe, which is a neighborhood here in Winnipeg, where they had the old uh, bomber stadium. And I was walking down there and I realized, what if I interviewed wrestlers? And I just asked them questions on Facebook and then I put it like on my blog. So 
I decided to do that. So my first interview was with uh, Kamikaze, and then I started with Bobby Fox and uh, Bring the Pain, Matt Fairlane, all these local legends that I'd interview. I'd get them up, and then in 2013, I took a break from that, and then in 2013, I realized that I did my second ever podcast. It was my first ever podcast that I've ever done was in 2008 with Chuck Bader from Border City Raceway. So that was 11 years ago. Not including the break I took, I've probably been doing this for seven years. 2013, I, me and my friend decided to launch a podcast. We uh, interviewed some, we did pretty good. We got some Kid Cash interviews. We got some Ahmed Johnson interviews. And we just, we, we interviewed some pretty good talent. And it was a really good experience. And then that kind of transitioned to me working for Bruce Hart in 2014 with the Heartbeat Radio. And in 2015, getting the exposure on the wrestling media for the first time and working for VOC Nation and Brady Hicks. And then uh, that's when I started refereeing and making my debut was that in 2015. I debuted in Saskatoon, Saskatoon. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun, too. So it's just kind of cool to look back, but you can't look back too much because you always want to keep moving forward. Jordan, I think it's great. And I think that the reason why you've transitioned as well as you have in the wrestling business when it comes to the journalism and into the podcasting is the respect that you have for the legends of wrestling. I love who you listed down for referees. We were lucky enough to have Doug Markham on for an interview. And one of the things that we talked about was the fact that referees make a wrestling match a lot of times. If you have a referee in there and you have them actually have authority and play the part well... The timing of the match and the storyline are so enriched by it that it's absolutely incredible. So to hear you talk about guys like Larry Sharp, who obviously had the Monster Factory and was able to go in there and develop so many wrestlers and quality wrestlers through that Monster Factory due to the fact that he understood the psychology of wrestling is absolutely incredible. With that said... What are your goals going forward in wrestling? Are you looking to make it to um, maybe the mainstream, maybe an AEW, maybe a Ring of Honor as a referee, or are you looking to um, continue along the lines of the journalism? You know what? I feel like the number one thing is that I want to have as much fun as possible doing it because I don't want to let it get in my head too much. And I kind of feel like, especially if you have people, uh, my friends, people I live with, people know that. People know when things get to my head, and I don't want it to get in there too much because when I interviewed Sabu, that was really cool. Uh, That was a really good interview, and that got out really, really fast. And I was really happy with the results. And sometimes you kind of just stick to those results and not move forward. So I guess my number one goal here is no matter what happens, good, bad, or average, keep moving forward no matter what. Obviously, my goal is coming up is to, uh, you know, score some extra work. I would love to do that. I'd love to, uh, if I'm a referee, absolutely. My goal is to get a shot at uh, one of the top companies. You never, uh, If I want to be a referee and I want to be in this business, absolutely. My goal is going to reach for the top. If I don't, that's okay. But at least I'm going to die trying. And I'm going to love what I do, do while doing it. And if I'm still in the business for 20 years without a shot at the top, I'm going to enjoy walking to that ring each and every time to referee a wrestling contest because that's what I love to do. So if I had an honor, if I had an opportunity to do that as a profession every single day, legitimately, then absolutely, I would I would work for AEW, I would work for WWE, and I feel like from a journalism standpoint, I I want to work for uh, I want to work for Pro Wrestling Illustrated too. I want to work for 
uh, Wrestling Observer. Wrestling Radio, too, as well, uh, which I've done as well. Just, I want to be on as many podcasts as possible. I want to referee as many shows as possible. So combined, I want to get booked as much as possible, and I just want to see how far I can reach and uh, enjoy the ride doing it. I also want to travel as much as I can as well, too, and be on a different variety amount of shows so I have more to add to my portfolio. So when I do fill in that extra application again, I have that extra information to give to them about my background. And that's sometimes they look for people that have a lot of that. So it, it varies. It depends. And also another goal here is I want to I want to eventually have some matches and uh, wrestle, but I want to I need to train with a reputable trainer to do that and wait at least two years before I step inside of a wrestling ring because that's how much I am dedicated to it. When I step in, I don't want to make any single fuck up whatsoever. So that takes two years of legitimate dedication. So when I feel like I'm ready to step up to the plate and take that on uh, next year, I'll be uh, doing that as well. I'm trying to get in with a well, a vet trainer already said that I had the option to train with him at Edmonton, considering it. But at this time, uh, I need to add some more body mass to myself, which is uh, another goal as well. Now, I've heard you talk about that on several of your podcasts. And you've really exhibited a respect for the business. Now, I had a question about your podcast more in general. Like, how did you transition into podcasting specifically? And what's your experience been trying to grow your product? Like, putting it out there and hoping to get a fan base. Yeah, the trying to get the fan base thing has been difficult for me. Well, I'm, I'm getting the fan base when I'm interviewing the big names and I'm sending the big names a lot. But somehow, when I'm with the good names still, but not the biggest ones, getting a fan base is a challenge. I maintain one the best I can, and I still have a consistent amount of good listeners that listen in each and every week. But it's hard to keep a consistent fan base and do it solo while having two other jobs as well. So I, I try to maintain the best fan base I can. Uh, I make announcements on all my social media. Uh, that's another, my biggest weapon here is social media and word of mouth. So uh, word of mouth, I always tell anyone I talk to in the day, doesn't matter who it is to listen to my show. It's a setup, like I'll always ask anyone I run into, whether that's my boss or my friend or anyone, and I'll tell their friends to listen to it. So I promote this by word of mouth. I promote this on Facebook advertising. I promote this on as much social media as I can and then combine it in. And then we get a consistent amount of listeners each week kind of cool seeing different markets and working with advertising and seeing likes from different places. Advertising technique does work and paying for certain methods does work. But I need to get some more big names under my belt. Last time I did that was a month ago. So that's the uh, goal too. So I can try to get as much publicity, but it's important uh, doing the right things to uh, lead up to that. Well, it's funny. Oh, I'm sorry, Jordan. I was going to say, it's funny that you should mention the working the whole reason we call ourselves the Working Fans Podcast is it's a double um, entendre. One is that we call it working because I worked in the business, but then we also call it that because all of us obviously work our day jobs and we're trying to do something that we're passionate about and something that we love, very similar to uh, what you're going through. And when you work through that at the end of the day, people don't always realize we a lot of times are doing this. I travel, like myself, I travel an hour to get here because I wanted to be here to do this interview with you, with these, uh, with my co-host, and be able to sit down. And once again, that speaks to how big of a fan we are also of yours and what you're doing, the fact that it meant that much to us to be able to sit down and talk to you today. Now, what were your feelings about that situation that happened with the ref over in England 
earlier this summer because I heard you reference it on your show, but I kind of wanted you I to did, yeah. I wanted you to speak your opinion here about it. Yeah, basically it was really uncalled for. Uh, the referee is a very important part to a wrestling match, and if you're a referee and you've been doing it for like a very long time, this been ref fucking thirty sorry, I've been ref for thirty years that I've been doing this, and they deserve to be treated like a vet if they've been a ref for that long. It's it's a very it's an important job, and I feel that it was very uncalled for what happened to that referee because he needs to have that communicated. Communication is so important in this business, and if they were going to shoot on him, you know what? They should have cleared that up with the other boys first, or if, he, if there was a motive or whatever, then I don't know what the point was. All together here, from what it looks like from a fan standpoint, it's just unacceptable. It's just something that shouldn't be done and that shouldn't be happening. Who knows? What if they had one referee that night and that guy's down? Are they gonna get a Are they gonna get a referee to do it? Like, you know what I mean? Are they gonna get a wrestler to referee? Which they do, but you know, I take a lot of pride in my job, so I feel like if that happened to me, I'd be very upset, and I I certainly would fight that. Jordan, it's it's one of the least um, professional things I've ever seen in my life. Those two wrestlers, quite frankly, should not be able to get a job anywhere, in my opinion. People don't always like the fact about how hard I go at those guys. But in my opinion, it's one of the most appalling things I've ever seen. The lack of respect for the officials. Let me tell you something. If they were to take a wrestler and make them all of a sudden try to referee, how many times have we seen great wrestlers as special referees and it's the worst thing you ever see on the planet? The timing it takes to be a great referee is so underrated. You guys are basically the maestros in there helping us get through the um, music. And without you guys, there's nothing that we could do about it. So it, it, it made me sick to my stomach when I saw that. And I still get pissed off just thinking about it. If I was one of the other wrestlers on that card, card quite frankly, there's a good chance I might have whooped the shit out of one of those two guys. Oh, yeah, especially right when they walk to the back. That's what happens, you know? Yeah, um, I, they, sometimes you need a little wrestler's justice. Yeah, that's, that's true. But, and, uh, talk about referees attire too if you're a referee as well um i'm only sure on i have black pants a belt uh with black black shoes oh yeah and you know what referees refereeing, always make sure you wear that I, I don't make my big for no, referees should dress appropriate for it. I've been to shows where referees look like they're were just pulled from the third row of the arena without proper uniform without and it automatically, to me, takes away from the show. Because at that point, I'm sitting there going, are these guys even professionals, or are we just here to watch some backyard wrestling? Exactly. Jordan, we appreciate all that you've been doing for us. We've had such a great time talking to you that, quite frankly, we want to invite you in to do something special with us. We do something on our show, and it's a little bit different than any other show on the, that's out there. We do what we call the 5-3-1, and we pick a top five subject. We okay. whittle it down from our top five down to the top three by discussing it. And then we whittle it down to the number one of the position that we feel really belong there as the greatest of that or the sometimes it's the worst of something. But we want you to be a part of that, Jordan. And if you've got a little bit of extra time, we would love for you to come up with your top five referees. Absolutely. My top five referees. That's a good one. You guys just throw a lot at me here. Top five referees. Let's throw a number five. We'll throw Earl Hunter in there. Number four, I want to throw Nick Patrick in there. Number three for referees, 
I want to put in Nikki J. Henson. Number two, I would put in, you know what? Number two, I put in Jamie Corderas, or John Cohn. John Cohn. But I like John Cohn. I have to add the current guy in there. And my number one referee is Tommy Rogers. I watch tapes with Tommy Rogers in it, and it is like an encyclopedia of information. So that's why I know Tommy Rogers is my number one pick. I think the Tommy Rogers pick is absolutely a great pick. We'll actually talk more about it in a second, but a lot of people aren't going to know that Tommy Rogers actually spent as much time refereeing as he did, and I think that's great. What we're going to do next is we're actually going to bring in my co-host, Dave, and he's going to give us his top five real quick, and then we're going to go around the table with each one of our top fives. All right, first off, Jordan, how you doing, man? Sorry I've been quiet today. I'm doing pretty good, man. Dave, how are you? I'm good, good. Lifelong fan of wrestling, too, and uh, I just sat out, so I didn't think it needed to be too crowded with three today. So my top five referees, I grew up on Earl Hebner. Uh, he was my number one, actually. Uh, he was who I identified with, and then Tommy Young was actually my number two. Nick Patrick was my uh, number three, because WCW days. Four, Mark Curtis was another guy I liked. I actually saw him take down a fan the other day who jumped in the ring on a nitro, and Mark actually took him out of the ring. It was, I yeah, that was, was during great. the Dean Malenko psychosis match, right? I believe it was. I believe yeah. it was. Number five I was struggling with. I went back and forth, but uh, I went with Jimmy Corderas. Yeah, I like Jimmy Corderas. Why? Well, it's because he, he made that mask look good. It's any situation and that's what I liked about Cordero's a lot too. Oh, 100%. The great thing about us going through these lists is the fact that at the end of the day there's so much subjective opinion when it comes to this and so many of these guys are talented and that's why it's so much fun doing this 531. My top five is I have my number one is Tommy Young. I'm always a Tommy Young fan. I grew up on the NWA so that's a huge one for me. Mark Curtis once again I never saw anybody react in the ring the way Mark Curtis did. He did a great job of selling moves in the ring when wrestlers did it. Like he was in shock and awe that they were able to pull off some of the moves that they did. One of my favorites when I was a kid was Bronco Lubitsch. Bronco Lubitsch used to wrestle, we used to referee down in the Texas area and was a very uh, staple down there for world-class uh, wrestling for those fans that might be a little bit on the younger side. Nick Patrick, I know he was on your list. Nick Patrick to me, one of the truly great referees of all time. And then, I know everybody's gonna go with Earl Hebner or Dave Hebner. I think Brian Hebner, believe it or not, the son, does an absolutely amazing job in the ring. He's athletic, he's in the right spot at every time, and he's another one who's similar to his dad, does a great job of getting over what the referees are doing, I mean, what the wrestlers are doing in that ring. Absolutely, you can't go wrong with any of the Hebners, that's for sure. They're both really good, and you learn a lot from watching them. And you're talking about world-class championship wrestling. If you want to watch a crowd, if you want to watch, uh, watch to know how to get over or watch a crowd get over, watch WCCW from, let's say, 83, 84. And literally every single body slam that you see or every little neck breaker, any spot is literally a huge reaction from the crowd. So imagine the reaction from the crowd if someone does a splash from the top rope or something. Yeah. It's pretty fun to watch. I'll just put that up there. And the amazing thing about that in that time period is everybody talks about the um, Dusty Rhodes and when Flair and the Andersons jumped him and broke the 
uh, arm in the middle of the ring in the cage in Atlanta, but people forget about the effect that it had when Michael Hayes slammed that cage door when Kerry was wrestling Ric Flair. When he slammed that cage door on him, the, the arena just went nuts. It, it looked like somebody was going to be murdered. Michael Hayes and the Freebirds were lucky to even get out of the stadium that night. Yeah, crowd gets hot. Especially imagine the Texas wrestling crowd in the 80s. Oh, yeah, that's insane. no oh. <laughs> But Joe's going to give you his top five, and then we're going to start to whittle this down real quick. Sounds like a plan. Now, my top five, I had Nick Patrick. I had Earl Hebner, Tommy Young. I threw in Doug Markham in there. He's a modern favorite of mine. And I also had Mark Curtis on the list as well. Oh, right on. And not a bad top five at all. So here's the hard part. Now we've got to take these lists and we've got to actually work it down to the top three. Now, Tommy Young and Mark Curtis popped up on everybody's list, I believe, or most of our list. So they're both going to move on. Now for that third spot, it's going to be between Earl Hebner and Nick Patrick because we're all big fans. And it's kind of which one of those would you feel would be better to move on to the top three. I'm usually a heel in this situation, but I'm going to actually go completely opposite and go face here, and I'm going to give our guest, Jordan, the chance to pick who's going on to the top three, Jordan. Are we going Earl Hebner or are we going Nick Patrick? I'm going to say, you know what? Just because Earl Hebner took kind of what dangerous Danny Davis had, not in a way, but in a little bit, but at the same time, you know what? I like, I'm going to say Nick Patrick, shockingly. Just because I already picked Tommy Rogers, and I, I don't think I added Tommy Young there as well. Uh, there are two different referees, by the way. I did not add Tommy Young. I wish I could have added that. But I'm going to say Nick Pass moves on off together here. That's fantastic. And you know what? I think no matter who we come up with, we're going to give an honorable mention to Tommy Rogers either way. Just because I think he's an unsung hero, and I don't think enough of us actually think of him on a daily basis when it comes to the referees. All right, so our top three right now is Tommy Young, Mark Curtis, Nick Patrick. Who's the first one we're going to eliminate from here? Who is the middle one? You got Mark Curtis, Tommy Young, and Nick Patrick. I'm going to say Mark Curtis. Good referee, but that's a very big top three, and one of them has to go. I agree with you. Dave, what are you thinking? Mark Curtis, Tommy Young, or Nick Patrick? I'm going to have to agree with Mark Curtis. It's going to have to go. Tommy Young and Nick Patrick are on my top all the list there. These guys, like we said, are all solid referees. But when you look at the list, Tommy Young and Nick Patrick, I think, had more bigger situations in front of them, taking nothing away from Mark Curtis. But if you got to pick one to go, it's got to be Curtis. And you got to remember, Nick Patrick, and we'll start the debate between Tommy Young and Nick Patrick. Nick Patrick is going to be an underrated, I think, referee sometimes. But you got to remember, he went from being senior official in WCW for basically the last seven years of WCW and then went on to become, when he went to the WWE, maybe the most successful transplant into the WWE, becoming senior official for the WWE also. Huh. Mm. Second generation in the sport too, son of the oh, assassin. Yeah. Well, they can't prove that. He was wearing a mask. Yeah, well, I have my feelings. <laughs> I have my sources. Uh, at the end of the day, though, for me, uh, I'm a Tommy Young guy. So, I would have to say Tommy Young just because of the inspiration he had on other referees and things that maybe Tommy Young did or went through as a referee served as an example for people underneath him. 
So I would have to pick Tommy Young as the number one. And then Jordan, once again, you're the guest here in the Working Fans um, podcast. So please give us your favorite between Tommy Young and Nick Patrick. I'm going to have to say Tommy Young. And you know what? This is one of the few times where we're going to be unanimous because I'm a huge Tommy Young fan too. Anybody who worked the matches that he did between Flair and Steamboat and all of Flair's top matches um, and it was in the right position at all time and able to keep up with those guys for between 60 minutes and 45 minutes, that's absolutely incredible. And we talk about the wrestlers and we talk about what it takes to get through those matches, but for a referee to be able to maintain and constantly be moving and being in the right position for 60 minutes, you, my friend, being a referee, know that's almost impossible. Yeah, uh, there's one thing too that I enjoy doing is those Tony Candelo tours. Is like there's no other referee, so I'm the only one. So one of the wrestlers, he's one of the rookies, he just finished training with a massive damage. Who's the guy I'm looking to train with when I eventually train to uh, wrestle and make that championship? I'd obviously start first start out with AJ Sanchez, but I would then choose to train with massive damage in Edmonton. I wouldn't want to live in Edmonton, but I have to figure that out. Uh, along the way. Basically, as a being a referee and having timing, it's really important, man. It makes magic to a match, and it equals your finish. There was a finish where the referee was arguing with me as she was holding the rope. I kicked her arms down, and she counted in for the three. And the way I did that finish made the crowd cheer so loud. And when I heard that, and I stayed out of their way, I realized that I did my job as the ref, and I did my job as the authority. So it was really cool to uh, kind of see these things happen. But yeah, refereeing six or seven matches on a show for uh, four nights straight uh, can be tiring, especially when it's going to be doing it for two weeks straight in the middle of nowhere. But uh, I feel like it's just every match. That just means more matches for me, right? And with more matches, come more experience. Jordan, I want to say, first of all and foremost, thank you very much for being with us here today. Um, It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. I also want to invite you back I want you to do me a favor after you've done the death tour. I want, I would love to do another interview with you and get some of the stories from the death tour with you. I think that'd be absolutely amazing to hear what you're going through. Um, even if you quite frankly want to call us up and arrange something while you're going through the death tours, you're more than welcome to please be on the show anytime. The other big thing is, is get your plugs in. Please let people know where they can find you. So, because it, anybody who's going to be entertained by the wrestling business and wants to hear somebody who loves this business and gives to this business is going to enjoy talking and listening to you so please give us your plugs absolutely uh you guys can obviously follow my podcast each and every uh saturday we do a women's wrestling portion called redline and that runs at every uh night every saturday at 10 p.m central standard time sunday nights every 10 p.m uh, Central Standard Time, we run Cut the Promo Wrestling Podcast, our main show, which is going to happen tonight here at 10 p.m. And then basically, we have, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Jordan J. Garber. Uh, on Facebook, you can just search Jordan Garber and you can accept it. My friends are maxed out on there, so if you uh, want to like my Facebook page at Cut the Promo, uh, you can do that as well. I'd uh, love to connect with each and every one of you. And then uh, my Instagram, Jordan J. Garber as well. So just stay up to date on my social media and uh, on my uh, podcast as well. You can listen to that on blogtalkradio.com backslash cut the pro. Definitely. Jordan, thank you very much for everything, my friend. And we'll definitely catch you on down the road. Not a problem. It was a pleasure being on. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. You too, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 
All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 